Um, Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 15. This is the word of the Lord. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews until this day. If you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 28, to those verses that we already read. Let me pray and ask God to help us this evening. Father, as we come to think about the resurrection, we get excited because we know this is really important. And so, Father, would you help us just to see just how important it is? Would you give us eyes to see what it is that you have set before us this evening in Matthew's gospel? So give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to keep. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's been just over three years now, I remember gathering uh, around the, the TV on the, I think it was the 23rd of March, 2020, and watching on as Boris gave that speech where he announced a nationwide lockdown to curb the spread of COVID-19. Maybe you can remember that speech, maybe you remember where you were sitting as you watched on. And each of us here this evening, I'm sure as we think about that period of, of lockdown, it can lead us to... You know, have a whole host of emotions bubbling up within us. And this evening, there's going to be a whole host of views in the room as to how Boris and the rest of the government should have dealt with it. And this evening, I'm not going to ask for a survey. But what I find baffling is this. What I find baffling is this. For those who still claim that COVID-19 did not actually exist, 
as if the whole thing was made up. Because the evidence was there, wasn't it? Some of you know only too well because you lost loved ones, members of our congregation. Maybe some of you are still struggling with the effects of COVID-19 and maybe family members as well. Some of you worked in hospitals over that period and saw many people battle for their lives through that period. And many others sadly lose their lives. And so you look at the evidence and you say, well, COVID-19 existed. I can see it and we have so many things that bear testimony to the fact. And yet, some do not believe. Some do not want to believe. And I wonder if it's similar with the resurrection of Jesus. Because the evidence is there and yet so many do not believe. Or is it that they do not want to believe? And so I want to ask you the question at the start of this evening. What about you? What do you do with the resurrection? What do you do with the resurrection? At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus really had died, hadn't he? We were thinking about that here this morning. He had given up his life, and the earth shook, God choosing to use creation itself to, to mark out such a significant moment in history. And then Matthew includes this little detail in chapter 27, verses 55 and 56. If you have it open, it glanced back. There were many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, we thought about her this morning, and Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Here are these women, and they, they watch on all that happens. They're unable to stop the Roman soldiers, and who is among them? But I want you to notice Mary, the mother of James. Mary, the mother of James. Now, we know that James is actually a brother of Jesus. And so it seems like this is actually Mary, the mother of Jesus himself. Can you imagine what that would be like watching on as your son is crucified in front of your very eyes and you know that he is innocent. He has done nothing wrong. Well, after his death, the, the normal practice of burial takes place. Jesus' body is placed in a tomb and a great big stone is rolled over the entrance. And again, Matthew includes a little detail about who's watching as Jesus is placed in the tomb. Verse uh, 60, uh, 61 of, of chapter 27, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. And they want to be there, don't they? They want to be there. They want to be close to the body. And many of you know what that's like when you lose a loved one and you you want to be close to the body. Maybe you wanted to visit the grave often, especially in those initial days of grief. Now we know that the body 
It's not the whole person. The, the person is made up of body and soul. And so their, their soul is no longer there. And we know that. We understand that, don't we? But their body is there. Their body is there. And so in a, in a very real sense, we feel like we're close to them when we are close to their body. Well, the next day was the Sabbath, the last day of the week at this point in history. And so the women have, have been away from the tomb for a day. And so early on that first day of the week, we're told that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus himself, went to see the tomb. Now, in some of the other gospel uh, writers, they, they include uh, details about how they went to, uh, to uh, intending to put spices on it. And yet, Matthew doesn't tell us that. Matthew's happy just to say, do you know, they went to see the tomb. But look what happens. Behold, there was a great earthquake. The earth shook. Now, Matthew has already recorded the last time that, that this happened, that there was an earthquake. And, and when was it? Well, it was to mark whenever Jesus died on the cross. And now God chooses to use nature again. He chooses to use creation again, this time to mark out another incredibly significant moment. And this time it marks the arrival of an angel from heaven, which came and, and rolled the stone back from the entrance of the tomb. And then we're told that the angel sits up, props himself up on top of the stone. And it's almost as if he's, he's saying, come on over, have a little look in here. See that it's empty. See that it's empty. This is what the earthquake is really marking. Verse 3, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. It's an impressive sight, isn't it? A terrifying sight. It's not the ordinary um, run-of-the-mill kind of day in the graveyard. No, no, we're told that the people who were there, they were gripped with fear, weren't they? The guards, they trembled, and they became like dead men, <laughs> paralyzed with fear. Verse 5, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. I wonder how you'd respond to meeting an angel. I wonder how you'd respond to meeting an angel in a graveyard. <laughs> well, we're told that everyone here responds with fear. And I imagine if any of us had been there, we would have been just like them, responding in fear. I notice that for some, the angel is quite happy to leave them in that fearful state. There's the soldiers, and the, the angel doesn't even address them. The angel leaves them gripped in fear while he speaks to the woman who has come seeking Jesus. Do not be afraid, he says, giving them comfort and settling their hearts amidst this terrifying and unexpected event. See, the woman hadn't really come expecting a resurrection. Seems that in no sense that they expected the grave to be empty. And maybe we're here this evening and you know, we are so familiar with the Easter story that that we kind of forget that that's a big deal. We're like, of course, the Easter story has an empty tomb. I mean, yeah, we hear that every year. And yet, we maybe miss the gravity of what's actually happening. Jesus has been raised 
from the dead. Here the women are, are met with an angel. The angel who has come and opened the tomb, not to let Jesus out, as if Jesus needed someone to let him out of the tomb. No, the angel, have came to, the angel has come to open up the grave so that the ladies can see in the grave, so that the ladies can see that Jesus really has risen from the dead, that the grave really was empty. You see, this is a key part of the Christian faith this evening. If you take away the resurrection of Jesus, well, then we have no hope, no good news. We don't have any hope of a resurrection body for ourselves. We don't have any hope of a new creation to come. We don't have any basis for the Christian faith. And what we're doing here, well, it's absolutely pointless. In fact, Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians, if the resurrection did not happen, we're to be pitied. <laughs> and yet, and yet, Matthew is at pains this evening to tell us that we do not need to fear because the resurrection really did happen, really did happen. And so this evening, I want to take the next few minutes to think about the evidence or at least some of the evidence that Matthew sets before us here in these verses. And firstly, I want us to see the testimony of the resurrection goes out to the disciples from these two ladies, the two Marys. Uh, they're the ones that witnessed first the empty tomb, and then they head quickly to tell the disciples that he has risen, and that they are to meet Jesus in Galilee. And why should we believe these two ladies? Why should we listen to what it is that they say? Well, these ladies have been watching up close, haven't they? They were there when Jesus was crucified. They watched as he died on the cross. And as they watched on, they can tell us he really died. He really died. And Matthew made sure to note that they were there. But they were also there whenever Jesus was buried in the tomb. And so they know where he was buried. It's not like these ladies have got mixed up en route to the tomb. You know, if you're getting directions from someone sometime, you're trying to remember, what did they say? Okay, okay, down to the graveyard, you're taking the third, third avenue in the left, and that's the, the fifth, fifth grave. No, it's not like that at all, okay? These ladies were there. They were opposite the tomb whenever Jesus was being buried. They know exactly where to go. And so they arrive at exactly the same tomb, and they say, this tomb is now empty, and this is where Jesus was buried. There was no mix-up in the tombs. But another way this evening that these women actually testified to us, and it's evidence that, that Jesus really did rise from the dead, is this. If this was some sort of fabricated story, if the disciples had been you know, trying to make up a story that the resurrection of Jesus really did happen, well, why on earth would they have sent these two women to the tomb? Because this was the first century where the testimony of women, women would have been classed as unreliable. They wouldn't have been seen as a credible witness. And so if you were writing a story, you wouldn't set it up to fall. You'd say there was two or three men who were held in very high esteem. They were the men who arrived first at the tomb. And yet, that's not what Matthew tells us. Because he tells us the truth. He tells us what actually happened, and that means that we really can believe what he says. The story really is credible. And then look at the woman's response to the angel's words. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Well, isn't that exactly what you'd expect to happen? 
fear? Oh, absolutely. They've just been to a graveyard, and who do they meet but an angel? Fear. Yes, absolutely. Fear. But also great joy. Great joy because the hope that they had placed in Jesus, devoting themselves to following him, well, it's now no longer the end of the story that they feared. But rather, it's one of great hope, one of great joy. So off they sprint to tell the disciples. And I think these women's response is a wonderful example to us, isn't it? They are quick to believe and they are quick to act, quick to be obedient. Wonders at us this evening, if you're a disciple, are you quick to be obedient, quick to act when you hear Jesus speak? I hope so. And what happens whenever these women are en route? Did you spot that? Because, well, Matthew tells us that, tells us that they actually happen to be the, some of the first people to, to meet the risen Jesus, aren't they? Verse 9, and behold, Jesus met with them and said, greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. It's one thing meeting an angel. It's another thing meeting the risen Christ Jesus. There he is, and they recognize him for who he is, the king of kings. And so they bow at his feet, right down low, taking hold of his feet, physical feet. You see that, don't we? And they worshiped him. You see, if the resurrection is true, which Matthew wants us to see that it really is true this evening, well, then the woman demonstrate the only right way to respond. And the only right way to respond is through worshiping the living Christ Jesus. That's the only right way to respond to the resurrection this evening. Well, it seems that Jesus is not waiting at this point. He's greatly encouraged them. He's given them further concrete evidence of his resurrection. He's met with them. He's spoken to them. He's let them touch his body, but now he encourages them on their way to do the very thing that the angel had told them already to do, to go and to tell, to go and to tell the disciples and to get them to meet Jesus in Galilee so that they too will see. You see, Matthew wants us to know that the evidence stacks up this evening. Layer upon layer upon layer, the evidence is there and it's clear. The evidence stacks up. The angel, the earthquake, the empty tomb, the physical interaction between Jesus and the two Marys who knew him well. In fact, if one is his earthly mother, who better to testify this, that this really is Jesus? You see, this is indeed the real Jesus. The real Jesus. It's not an imposter. It's not a neat acting double. The resurrection really did happen. Jesus really is alive. And secondly, I want you to see the evidence from the soldiers. Remember that these are soldiers in the, the Roman army. These were not wimps, okay? And yet when the earthquake happens and the angel appears, we're told that they tremble and that they are paralyzed with fear. So what do they do once they regain their movement? Well, we're told, verse 11, that some of them head into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Now, there's a little bit of intrigue here, isn't there? Why just some of them? Why just some of the soldiers? Maybe some of them are remaining at the scene of the empty tomb until further instruction was heard. But you do wonder, don't you? You do wonder if some of them thought, I am having nothing more to do with these chief priests. Mm -mm, not me. 
told some of the soldiers to go to the chief priests, and we're told that they bear all to the chief priests. Again, you'd love to be a fly on the wall at that point, wouldn't you? As they gather around the chief priests, and they'd kind of relay the story of what's happened to these religious leaders. Well, there was an earthquake, and, um, well, an angel appeared from heaven, and then um, the tomb was empty, and we did overhear, we did overhear that um, the angel saying to these two ladies that Jesus had actually risen from the dead. You know, can you imagine as they relay that story? <laughs> this is not the, the news that the chief priests had, had wanted to hear. In fact, this was much worse than they could have imagined. And so what do they do? Well, they now move into damage limitation mode. They gather all the other religious leaders for counsel. And look at what they choose to do. They take the truth about Jesus, the God-man, and his resurrection, and they exchange it for a lie. They take the truth about God and they exchange it for a lie. They give a significant sum of money to the soldiers and they tell them, we want you to go forth and we want you to tell this message. Go and tell, but don't tell the truth. Don't tell them about the resurrected Jesus. Don't mention the angel. Don't tell about the earthquake. No, 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 don't mention any of that. Tell them this. Uh, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And don't worry if the governor hears. Um, you're not going to get in trouble for falling asleep because I can imagine that the governor generally wouldn't have been too happy if he'd fallen asleep. We'll keep him sweet. Just go and tell. Not the truth, but go and tell. And isn't this absolutely fascinating? Because here the religious leaders, they find themselves happy to spread the very story about Jesus that they had actually employed the soldiers in the first place to prevent. Flick back with me to um, chapter 27, verse 64. Because here's what happens. After Jesus had died and was buried, uh, and buried, the chief priests and the Pharisees, they'd gathered to Pilate, and they had said that they remembered how Jesus had said he was going to rise after three days. So this is what happens. He says, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first well, now we have the chief priests and the scribes, and the, well, they believe that a lie, a lie about the disciples stealing the body is indeed better than the truth, because the truth is the reality of the resurrection. The truth is that Jesus really was the Son of God. The truth is that Jesus actually is the forever promised King of the forever promised kingdom, the one that we read about in Daniel chapter 7. And this is a message that they did not want to get out. No, no, no. And it might have seemed like a, a pretty good cover-up story, certainly at the time. But you have to wonder, did anyone ever come back and say, well, if the soldiers were asleep, how do you know that the body was actually stolen? Or if the soldiers were actually asleep, how are you so sure that it was actually the disciples who did the stealing? Well, maybe it's not such a good lie after all. But you see, sometimes people don't want the truth, do they? And so it's a story that got traction, and it still has traction as Matthew writes his gospel, and it's a story that some even hold to today. Some people don't want the truth, 
And for the soldiers who went to the city, it seemed that they were happy with that. They were happy to take the money. They were happy to take the money and exchange the truth about the resurrection for a lie, a lie that they were going to spread and that is still being spread to this day. It's a story though, isn't it? It's a story, but it wasn't the truth of what happened. Well, thirdly, I want you to see the evidence of the resurrection in three words. We spot them in verse 6. He is not here, for he has risen as he said, okay? As he said, just three words, and yet they point us to the fact that the resurrection should not have been a surprise. It seems that the disciples and the followers of Jesus, in their grief, had completely forgotten what Jesus had said. Contrast that with the religious leaders. They hadn't forgotten, had they? No, they remembered. They just didn't believe it to be true. So what did Jesus actually say? Well, let's flick through Matthew's gospel really quickly just to see some of the times where he does speak about his death and resurrection. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, this is slightly veiled, right? Okay, we can kind of understand where the disciples might have missed this one. Looking back, though, we can see exactly what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying that he is the Son of Man. That's the language of Daniel 7, isn't it? But then there's three really obvious times, okay? Jump forward to Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Well, this is pretty explicit, wasn't it? You know, this, this must happen, right? Jesus must go to Jerusalem. He must be killed and he must be raised on the third day. Jump forward to Matthew 17, verse 22 and 23. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. I mean, it sounds like they, they kind of understood what Jesus was saying there, wasn't it? Jesus said he was going to be killed, but don't miss it. What did he say? He will be raised on the third day. And then thirdly, jump with me to Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, remember, that's the language of Daniel 7, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. It's almost like every time Jesus reveals a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more of the details. And here he includes intricate details, such as those to whom he will be delivered over to, the chief priests and the scribes, and how they will then pass him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, handed over to the, to the Romans. But what does he say? And this is really, really key. What does he say? He will indeed rise again. On which day? The third day. He will rise again on the third day. And so these three little words in verse 6, as he said, as he said, are evidence of the fact that Jesus knew exactly what he had come to do. And all of what had unfolded was part of his plan. You see, Jesus had come with a plan. 
Right back in chapter one of Matthew, we're told what the plan was. Jesus had come to save his people from their sins. To save his people from their sins. That was the plan that Jesus had come with. Save his people from their sin, to take their punishment for sin, death, upon himself so that they would no longer have to experience the punishment for sin, but could become friends again with God. See, that's what the Easter story is all about, isn't it? It's about Jesus' death and resurrection. It's all about him saving his people from their sin. It's all about the hope of resurrection life for those who are believers and the new creation to come. So what do you do with the resurrection this evening? What do you do with the resurrection? Because the evidence is there, isn't it? J.C. Ryle, that famous preacher, speaking about the reliability of the evidence for the resurrection, he says this, listen to these words. He says, it would be impossible to prove anything in the world if we refuse to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, for those who are Christians... The resurrection shows us that we do not need to fear death. The punishment for sin has already been dealt with. Rather, their death is just the entry point to paradise with the risen Jesus and the end to their struggle with sin. And for the Christian, they know that one day they will be reunited with their resurrection bodies and get to spend forever with King Jesus in the new creation, worshiping him. And so I wonder, is that your hope this evening? Is that your hope? Or could it be, or could it be that like the soldiers or the religious leaders, you have exchanged the truth about Jesus and his resurrection for a lie? believing that somehow it's better to reject Jesus and not to take him up in his offer of salvation. And rather this evening, you are wandering towards your own grave, not with the hope of resurrection life, but rather with the reality of the wrath of God still to be poured out upon you. I wonder what you're doing with the resurrection because it's our prayer that you are trusting in and worshiping the risen King, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is hope this evening. There is hope because the tomb was empty. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And so for all of us here believers this evening, remind us of how this is wonderfully good news. It points to our own resurrection bodies after our own death. Points to the hope of the new creation that we have. Not a a hope as in something that we we just hope might happen, but a, a sure and certain hope. But Father, I pray that as we think about what Christ achieved on the cross and through his resurrection, that all of us here would be putting our trust in him. That we would have accepted what he has done for us rather than rejecting him. Because that would not be good news. Lord, I pray that you'd be at work in each of our hearts, helping us to respond appropriately.
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.